welcome back to our mental health mukbang, where we make mental health very easily digestible. I'm Jeannie Chang, LMFT in Raleigh, North Carolina, and today I'm proud to feature instant chapaghetti. That's what I'm eating today. It's going to be pretty messy. I'm Christopher Vo. I'm a LMFT based out of Houston, Texas. Today I made a Japanese curry topped with uh, eggs. Dude, mm-hmm. that looks bomb. Yeah. I should have I should have gotten Japanese curry. <laughs> Man. All right. My name's Jed. I'm a therapist based out of LA, and uh, I've got popcorn chicken rice. Mm. I already take out. I'm Jenny Wang. I'm a clinical psychologist in Houston, Texas, and I'm having um, glutinous sticky rice and some leftover tofu and shrimp. Mm. <laughs> and my mom oh. made the sticky rice, so it's legit. Um, gosh, I'm jealous. <laughs> but that's okay. Um, so we today, we today, well, today we're going to be talking about what the therapy process looks like for the client. So we'll break it down so you will be familiar with it even before you start and even talk about procedures and what it looks like outside the therapy room and and all that good stuff. So I guess the first thing I'll start with the question and then ask any of you guys, um, what's the first step once you found your therapist and perhaps you made your appointment or or contacted him or her, what's the next step? What can they expect? What can clients expect? Well, even from the, uh, to take it back even a little bit, we talked a little bit last week about like finding a therapist, but then booking a therapist, right? Um, for me, I'm only available certain times out of the week. Uh, I have online booking. I do it via phone, email. So there's always multiple avenues to really check my schedule, right? Uh, other therapists will have calling services or secretaries. It really just depends based on the practice. Mm-hmm. So you Good really point. can't expect it to be like uniform, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I and I, I don't know how Jenny operates, but I'm private practice, so it's basically me, um, and they do not have access to my schedule. Yeah. <laughs> so they will have to email me or contact me, reaching out via my website usually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm the same. Um, I'm also a private practice, sole practitioner. They don't have an answering service, um, and typically my voicemail directs them to complete the contact form on my website, just because I think email for scheduling is just way easier. And yeah, then, right. um, and we, I do offer a free 15-minute phone consultation for us to see if we're a good fit. So I there. actually do have somebody who helps me set my appointments, but I also... Well, recently, because we've been doing telehealth, I set my own appointments with my clients because I, I don't have to be in the office anyway. Um, the only reason I have to set with my uh, with my uh, scheduling person is because there's offices and sometimes they're occupied. So that's that's why. Um, because I'm part of like a – it's kind of more like a group practice, uh, even though it's private practice. Um in a in a in an interesting like community setting where some of the rooms get used by other programs so yeah but i also offer a i think most therapists offer some kind of like 30 minute 15 30 minute consultation to just see if like you can be see if you can get along in that first 30 minutes and if there's like a connection that kind of forms there right um 
So maybe we should talk about that. Like the consultation process. What does that look like? Why, like, we, I, I talked a little bit about why I do a consultation, right? We want to get to know you. We want to make sure that what your problems, what problems you're dealing with, you will, will are things that we feel comfortable in addressing, right? Because Jeannie doesn't do couples. Um, I don't do old people. Um, I don't do men. Yeah. So we have, we have populations. Money, sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I should, I, I guess I should be more specific. Specific? I don't know. I I generally don't work with the sixty plus demographic, um, and that's just because life experiences and all that kind of stuff. I just don't feel comfortable doing it. And I've worked with, I used to work in an adult daycare center, and so I I think I've moved on from that part of my life. <laughs> that's a good point um that we all have different specialties not just we here but in general therapists might have their uh specialties and where they uh you know you might want a specific therapist that it specializes in depression to women to whatever that is corporate only whatever that is so that's important to know that there are many out there that specialize in different things so that's i'm glad you brought up that point but consultations go ahead no go ahead Uh, no i was just saying and sometimes I find that it's really helpful in the, when we talk in the consultation, I can tell that somebody's read my website because if they call me and they're like, I'd like to work on eating disorders. I'm like, okay, so you probably didn't have a chance to read my website because I don't list that as one of my areas of specialization. So you can save you and the clinician a lot of time just by peeking at the website because they usually will list the different areas that they work with. Um, and so then you don't, you know, you can move on and find the right therapist for you. Um, so look at the website, because I think that helps in that initial step. That's yeah, absolutely. I think uh, within our group, Subtle Asian Mental Health, I've noticed uh, a pattern of people thinking that all therapists know everything, right? That we've been trained in everything. And we've been kind of like have this cursory training through these things, but definitely not experts. I don't, I personally don't work very much with clinical disorders or things like that. Anything that you need, you have to pair with a psychiatrist with, um, I'm kind of hesitant to work with. I will do my best, but that's like we're talking about, that's what the consult's for. I'll definitely refer out and find you a a better fit therapist if I can. Yeah. And I want to make clear. um, So I don't give consults not because I don't want to, but now I've shifted my practice where I'm referral based only. That was just my choice. So I have a, because I came from primary care, a lot of my um, referrals come from physicians or in the corporate space. So I just choose not to do them because they'll, they'll refer me or they'll say, Hey, uh, this is who we recommend. And so that's how I get a lot of my clients. So by then I'm just like, well, they've done some research or the provider or someone who referred to me told them about me. So. Yeah. um, Oh, so you're only direct referral based. Like if somebody finds you on the internet, you won't they can because I have a website, but generally I don't get my refer- I don't get my clients that way. I get them direct referrals. Okay, that is a good point oh, too true. because you know I don't want to set up this full expectation of like a therapist is bad if they don't give you a consult because of the fact that you know mm-hmm. some therapists don't for a variety of reasons and honestly some therapists are just booked and they just don't have the time to do that. You know you have to remember that therapists are also people. Uh, we have families, kids, wives, husbands, um, 
and a 40 hour work week, right? And all these other side hustles, like all these different things, you know, sometimes it's just not feasible. That's why uh, I always, I always suggest clients advocate for themselves, right? Do your best to try and kind of do your due diligence, read up a little bit about them and shoot them an email. If you have any questions or hesitations, ask first, do you work with this disorder? Do you work with this? I'm thinking mm -hmm. about this. Give them a little background information. Good stuff. Yeah. So then moving on then past the consultation, mm -hmm. what's next? What is, how do your sessions, how do you guys set up your sessions? For me, uh, I only work in the evenings, right? Because I'm a night owl. It's just how I generally am. So mm -hmm. 1 to know. 8, 9 p.m. sometimes when I was in the office. Um, and I do 45-minute hours. Okay. That's good to know. I, I do do 60-minute hours. That's my full therapy hour. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I do 55-minute. Interesting. Mm -hmm. It is interesting. Um, and I, I see clients only from 9.30 till about four last appointment at four um but that's because i had young kids and school and all that so it's kind of structured around being home for kids mm -hmm. um and yeah i guess uh chris and jed because we're on the private practice side, i guess we can be more flexible i'm not i mean it sounds like you guys dictate your schedule too but i choose there's some days I, I would say most of the time i don't see clients mondays and fridays however if somebody needs to see me it's my own practice i could say let me Sure. Let me fit you in here. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah, my director definitely gives me that flexibility. So I think it really just depends person to person and clinic to clinic or practice to practice, right? Because when I was working my full-time job and doing, doing private practice on the side, um, my private practice clients would always have to come after my full-time, like full-time work clients. So I was only seeing clients from like, five to eight at night and my and then my office closes so before before telehealth that was just kind of how it was right um and mm. i think it really just depends um uh, what yeah it just kind of depends on who you're looking for because there are there are some that if so one of the downsides of doing say like last week we talked about government-funded, uh, government-supported community health clinics. One of the downsides to that is if you work a full-time job, it's very hard to get a schedule because right. those clinics are usually only open from 9 to 5. Um, and it makes it a little harder to get access to those when you're also working like a 9 to 5. So that's just something to keep in mind. Yeah. Um, but there are a lot of people like Chris. I think there are a lot of therapists where therapy is – almost kind of like their side hustle so after hours like evenings or sometimes weekends i see clients on saturdays from time to time um just because our clinic is open and then i take a different day of the week off right but do i really take breaks <laughs> and and we should also mention that we're in the age of covid so things are we are doing teletherapy really? um i'm doing 100 percent of the time i don't want to speak for everybody else but safety reasons i have chosen to go 100 percent of the time indefinitely for now until things change uh so i did i had to tell my clients that but i would be honest nobody seemed to you know everyone seemed to be okay with that idea because i think they they understand uh but that has shifted things too i have had to be better about having and this is on the therapy end 
for clients to understand. I wanted to be available for my clients or new clients because of COVID, people needing more um, attention on their mental health. I did open up some evening hours during this time, you know? Again, I wouldn't advertise them because I'm referral only. So I would say, especially after work, they're like, I can only see you after seven. I'm like, that's fine. I'm not gonna reject that, you know? So they, so uh, that's uh, my whole point about that is clients always ask if you have a preference, it does not hurt for you to say, I can only see you after six or do you do morning appointments? Never hurts to ask. And then they can, it's up to the therapist, whether they want to make that adjustment. But I want to say I've found that most do if they're able to, um, that's on my end, you know? Yeah. yeah. And talking about telehealth in the, the age of COVID with a lot of therapists switching to telehealth, um, they've loosened restrictions for now. It used to be that we could only see clients within our state, uh, but now we're able to see clients nationwide. Whether or not that remains or not, that's unknown, right? Mm -hmm. So for you know clients seeking therapists, um, that kind of really widens your pool of therapists that you can seek from, right? Mm -hmm. So be sure to ask anyone for word of mouth. That's definitely the best way to know exactly what you're stepping into. And I'm glad you brought that up because in, sorry, North Carolina, not many Asian therapists. Um, so if I can't take them, that's great for me to know who else is around you guys because of that. So I was excited about that. I was a little un uneasy because I'm thinking ethically speaking how that works, but since it got approved, is it approved for each license though? I think you, you should check that? with your licensing it's not board. not for psychology. It's not, I was going to ask Jenny that. Okay. So it's not approved for, for a license. No, we had issues where clinicians were seeing like college students here in Houston because they were here for college and then they had to go home because of COVID. And I've had colleagues say that they have not been able to get reciprocity in those states. Oh, wow. So it does depend on the specialty field. Um, yeah. And I've had people reach out from other states through social media and things and say hey has it changed since covid can you see people outside of texas and i'm like no it doesn't work that way at least for a certain field so always ask like Jeannie said um because i think yeah i think on our directory right we have states where there's no clinician even listed who's asian so um it, are there any other so lmfts are nationwide what no. about social work? LMFTs are state-based. LPCCs LPC are nationwide. Oh, LPCs are nationwide. Okay. So LPCs are allowed to see anybody from any state now. Supposedly. Like, yeah, that's, that's supposed to be, like, the standard that they're moving toward. The mm -hmm. licensed professional clinical counselor. And that's no, supposed licensed to... professional counselor. But I do, do believe LMFTs as well can cross state lines. Yeah, I We have to get relicensed in the other state. Well, well, according to my board, I think the email I got, they said, you just have to call the others. I mean, I haven't done it yet, but you have to call the other state to make sure that it's okay, but you don't have to get licensed in the other state. Yeah. Not right now, not during Oh, no, 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 oh, okay, not right now. All yeah. right, so. Yeah. Not right now. It's gonna be permanent. Yeah, this is a temporary yeah. to help the mental health need out there. All right, send yeah. me your NC referrals. <laughs> Well, I told you I would. That's what I was going to do. Yeah. So uh, going back to the client now. Sorry. Sorry. All right. So once they know, once they decide who, what's the next step? Because I know we all have our own steps, but after the consultation and they're ready to go, they're like, okay, I can't wait to see Jenny. Mm -hmm. Maybe we should back up a second 
and okay. give some tips about what kind of questions they should ask during the consultation. That's a good one. Good idea. First one, how much does it cost? Yes. Be clear from the beginning because you know what your ability and you know your boundaries are with finances and they know how much they're so some people have something called a sliding scale in which they're willing to um, lower their full fee rate um, you know for a certain number of clients in their caseload or xyz and so you know if that's a concern ask you know and they will be upfront with you you know i i currently don't have availability for sliding scale or i do um, and what is it you know i think one of the things as clinicians is we are ethically um, bound to be very clear about fees from the outset. And so I talk about that from the beginning. I say, this is my fee for this many minutes each session. Do you have any questions or concerns about that? You know, yeah. will you be utilizing insurance? Do, do they provide out of network, um, super bills or reimbursement forms for your insurance so that you can get some of that reimbursed by your insurance company if they're out of network? Um, and so those are questions I think that are totally appropriate to ask. And I encourage them to ask because if it's not a good fit, I want to know from the very beginning so that we don't delay in finding you the right person. Absolutely. And what forms of payment, when you talk about insurance, call your insurance, um, and ask them, you know, do you need a diagnosis? How many, uh, how many sessions does your insurance allow? You know, just really run through it and ask them all of these different things so we can help you. And, um, um, oh, sorry, do they cover telehealth? Because I know some insurances started covering it because of COVID, but some are also phasing that out as well. Yeah. Um, when it comes to asking therapist questions, I think we, we kind of went over, you know, a lot of that, but just try to, to start a little bit of a dialogue, right? That's the most important thing. See exactly how you fit with that therapist. Do you feel heard? Do you feel validated? Are they familiar at least with some of the issues that you think you're experiencing, right? After that, uh, I send over the intake electronically, fill it out. <laughs> I have so many clients that just don't look over the paperwork, look at the intake, fill it out to the best of your ability. That's only gonna help me help you, right? That's my point too. I, I after the consult or I don't do one, but after I the initial scheduling, I'll send over what I call my informed consent, which is all my therapy policies, payment, which you're right, Jenny, that's the first thing that gets asked, and it's usually in an email that I'll explain. And how I take payment too. Um, mm -hmm. I do explain that up front. But yeah, I will say if you can read the informed consent, but I still go over it. And most therapists, actually every therapist should go over there that includes the confidentiality. That's Absolutely. the first thing I'll outline all, all of that, just to understand. So you feel comfortable. I'm trying to make the client completely comfortable, but yes, I will say sometimes they don't read it, but that's okay. Cause I still go over it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I guess that that brings us into like the next section of therapy, right? So once you've done the consultation, you filled out the paperwork, your first session, what do you expect at your first session? Right? So generally, at least for me, maybe it's different for you. Um, for me, we obviously go over informed consent and the limits of confidentiality. So your therapist should, your, every therapist should go over the limits of confidentiality, meaning that everything that we talk about is confidential, except for 
uh, child abuse, elder abuse, dependent adult abuse, if you're going to possibly be a threat to other people or if you're going to be a danger to yourself, right? And these are the things that we go over at the very beginning so that if they come up, we're like, hey, you know that time that you we talked about this? You know, like, this is the time where I have to call the police. Uh, <laughs> um, and so those are important things. Court order is a big one, too. Yeah, court ordered as well. Because oh, yeah. I deal with a lot of, when I was dealing with a lot more families, court order was came up a lot because yeah. of divorce proceedings and right. I don't know you, how many lawyers. You need to subpoena me if you're getting anything out of me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that's, um, that is part of what we do just to go through that. And then obviously we should also go through our privacy practices, um, like how we keep your information safe, uh, what we do with that information, who we're going to tell. If you're, if your therapist is an associate, or is not fully licensed yet, it has a supervisor, this is where they would disclose that to you. And then there should be some kind of um, acknowledgement on your whatever document you're signing that, hey, like, this person may know about your case, but it's going to be on a confidential basis. Um, so yeah, that's... Yeah, that's... There was just an echo there. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... Yeah, so that's 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 what you should expect in like the first, what like 10, 15 minutes of therapy. The first session, first 10, 15 minutes. That's what you. That's what we're gonna be going over. Yeah. Mhm. And during that time, clients, you can ask questions. If you don't, if you're, if it's not clear, because we are giving you a lot of information. Some of it's heavy with the limits of confidentiality, but you should definitely ask if you have a concern or want to know up front. Um, please do. And now with telehealth, yeah. there's an additional consent form, at least for psychologists, it has to be a separate form. So make sure that they are reviewing that with you in terms of the risks of utilizing technology for therapy um, and any concerns you might have about security in that regard too. Right. Yeah. Um, so we don't, I don't think we have an extra form. I, I had to add it to my consent, but that's interesting. You have a full, another full form. Also. Make sure that your therapist is using a verified platform to do therapy on because some states don't cover certain or certain licensing boards from certain states don't cover certain programs. Like California doesn't allow you to use Zoom for telehealth. So or FaceTime. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Skype, Zoom, FaceTime, they're not secure. Technically HIPAA I think, proof, I think, you know. I think Skype was okay. But well, that's surprising. I still use a therapeutic platform just because um, of, you know, but I think for the California um, one, Google was specifically listed as being okay. So really, have, that's interesting. I don't think I should well, look that up a, in my state. I have Google through my employer or my uh, group. Okay. So. Yeah. So there is a, a BAA that's signed for that. Um, ah, I did not know that. It HIPAA compliant. Um, this is Skype? No, is it Google, Google. like Google Meeting? Google Meet. Google um, Meet signed a, um, a consent form for, and it's HIPAA? I have it's, no idea. But... Compliant? So, like, if you have a business Google account, you can sign a BAA with Google, and that would be a HIPAA. Didn't know that. Good to know. And document storage. Um, yeah. Anyway, this isn't for clients. But... <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> So I'm here. I'm curious to hear how y'all's first sessions go because mine, um, because I'm trained clinically as a clinical psychologist, um, I do go through and it is 
a pretty extensive interview for my first one. So I set that up from the beginning and I say that intake, that first session is informed consent and interview. And um, I do ask about, you know, symptoms of depression. How long have you had it? You know, is it recurrent? And I do try to formulate some type of diagnosis if it's applicable. Um, and I kind of couch it as like, it gives me the foundation by which our work then is built on. So for me, that first session is we, I'm asking you questions about your background, asking questions about your symptoms, asking questions about how you've coped with it and all of these different things. Um, I do assess suicidality um, at my phone consult, as well as that first interview. Um, that's my level of comfort because I like to know, um, but not every clinician does that. So I wanna kind of put that out there. Um, so how do y'all's first sessions kind of run? Are y'all's? No, <laughs> I'm similar, Jenny. Actually, because I come, I come from uh, uh, primary care, so I prefer doing a thorough. I call it just an assessment or psych psychiatric evaluation. It's actually the first title of my. Uh, their first session is called psych evaluation. That's just my background. So I do, and I actually give a 75 minutes. So I meant to say my first session is 75 minutes, because mm -hmm. that first 15 minutes I'll spend on the informed consent, and then the 60 minutes will be the interview, and the last 20 minutes is usually connection therapy building or therapeutic alliance building. So I want to end on that note and not be like, hey, so the last time you did this and, and not be so clinical. But mm -hmm. yes, I do with our, I even ask, and I know Chris mentioned this, but I do because I come from providers, will ask their psychiatric history with medication. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm pretty much well-versed on that. I understand medications, so I will need to know and I have to write all that down. So generally speaking, I try not to write things down because that's my mantra. I'm like, I'm going to memorize this, but when they start giving me 15 medications, I'll pull out and I'll be like, hold on, say it again. But that's not always the case. So yes, I do do a clinical evaluation. How about you guys? Uh, I do not. I am more emotionally focused. I'm much less clinical. So I will ask for all of that stuff to be put into the intake. And typically I'll start getting a history and family of origin history about session three, actually. Um, but first session for me is uh, just what brought you in here? What emotions are you feeling? You know, and the question I always get is I put all that in the intake and I, and my response is always, I know I've read it, but I want to hear it from your mouth exactly what it is that brought you in here because people will withhold different things. And I understand that, right? From there, I can assess their comfort with therapy and then I'll start to demysticize, ask them, what did you expect from therapy, right? And then I'll talk about my personal style, talk about personal uh, whether or not we fit or not. And then I ask them um, to try to establish some early goals uh, and what, what it, you know, ask them like the miracle question. The miracle question is when we've successfully completed therapy in six months, a year, however long that may take, what changes in your life? So I can really get to know them a little more, right? Um, from there, if I have couples, it's first, second session are foundation building. Third session is uh, third and fourth session are individual sessions where I split them up, get family of origin. And then after that, uh, I start going over more foundation building and communication, things like that. I like the miracle question. <laughs> I, I'm a CBT guy and I also use the miracle I question. I identify with that. So, um... So I'm going to give a slightly different perspective just for the community of mental health people out there. Uh, so if you go through one of the 
one of the government contracted agencies or whatever, they have a very standardized assessment that they have to do. So the first session or two is going to be that assessment because it is like 10 pages long and it asks you about everything and we have to answer all of those. So, so if you're going to go through say uh, Medicaid or Medi-Cal, there's going to be a pretty lengthy assessment process. The first two sessions are probably going to be something like, depending on how long they are, some agencies let you go longer and just do the whole thing in one session. Some agencies say you can, you only have 60 minutes, whatever you finish in 60 minutes, you have to finish the next time. And that assessment takes anywhere between like 75 to two hours, depending on how long your, your history is. And, um, so that's one thing to expect. You're going to be signing a lot of forms and they have to explain all of the forms to you because it is technically government, like the government contracted part of it is that they have to keep all these records just to protect themselves as an agency, but also to, um, let government insurance know that, Hey, we're, we're doing work. We're, we're actually doing what we're supposed to do. Um, so after the first two sessions of first or second session of the interview, you will usually go into a goals, goals related interview. And so in the first session, you'll talk about all of your psychiatric history, all of your, a brief family history, all of your like, uh, symptoms whatever it is that you're going on with. And then by the time you get to the goal setting, which is either in like the second or third session, usually I have like a whole session dedicated to like creating a treatment plan, which is having multiple goals with multiple, um, multiple care providers, because in community mental health, it's usually not just a therapist. You'll likely have a case manager or you'll likely have like a peer support person or someone else to come, come, come alongside to help support the therapeutic process. Um, and of course those are things you can opt into the therapist will let you know. Some people just come and see therapists and that's totally fine too, but it is a pretty lengthy process. Expect two to three sessions just to get through the interview, like the assessment and then the treatment planning. And then you can finally get into like, so what's going on? But ideally you're working with your therapist to, um, you're working with your therapist to develop a alliance through that process. So I, I make, I'm, I use humor a lot, so that doesn't always sit well with a lot of clients, but through, it does make the interview process easier, the assessment process. And so, um, that's usually the way that I develop rapport with my clients through this really long and lengthy assessment process. And, um, yeah, but for private practice, our assessments like one page. And then I get like a brief family history and like some psychiatric history. And then we're going into like, so what, what brought you in? And then by the end of that session, Hey, what's, if you could have one thing at the end of this, what would your life look like? Like what, what would you imagine your life to be, to look like if this wasn't an issue? So that's what to expect in the community mental health. And then like a super chill, like private practice setting. <laughs> When I worked community mental health, our assessment was like 15 pages. So it took me three hours for the initial session. It was not fun. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't miss community mental health either, the paperwork. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so as you can see, there are different styles, different processes, but we all generally align on obviously the informed consent and just our initial, though Chris might be a little different. I was going to say with my psychiatric evaluation, depending on who I'm talking to and why they came in, because I'll have some idea based on referrals, 
I will thread it throughout. It's not like I pull out this thing and go, give me your psychiatric history. I'll just ask the questions as a conversation, you know, saying, hey, so tell me about your bout with depression and, and what happened there. So, but okay, so now that we've gone through the assessment and you, we've outlined some sessions, how about- After recording this episode, we realized that we had gone over our normal episode length. So we hope that you'll join us again next week as we continue with part two of this episode, what you should expect from therapy as a client.